There was a bit of a chuckle back home in Nelson when I told everyone, you know, I was coming down to St Barnabas in the weekend and I've got to preach at five services. I forgot to mention to them that Mark also convinced me to sing for my supper. So it's lovely to be back in Christchurch. As Jenny said, this is my hometown. I grew up down the road in Islam, went to Burnside High and went to St Tim's in Burnside and uh, Canterbury University. And my mother, Margaret, was also part of this congregation uh, for a number of years before she died. Um, so it's lovely to be back and uh, spend this time with you this morning. I think you'll all agree that 2020 is going to go down as one of those years we will never forget. You know, when my kids have children, it'll be one of those, you know, sit them on my knee, I remember when kind of moments. We've all journeyed through this period of COVID-19 and the lockdown. And for many, that's led to social isolation and economic hardship. Then we've also seen on telly the whole Black Lives Matter movement kind of going around the world, which has pointed to racial inequality overseas, but also here in New Zealand. There is a common thread, I think, which our Prime Minister has picked up with the logo she's used, Be Kind. What does it mean to be kind to those who are struggling through the pandemic? What does it mean to be kind? to those of a different race. Today I'd like to extend the question to what does it mean for us to be kind to those facing terminal illness? And yes, on Social Services Sunday, we are going to get slightly political. Or to put it another way, are we showing love, mercy and compassion if we give people the choice to legally end their own lives, what we call assisted suicide, or to choose to have someone else end their life for them, what is called euthanasia. This is at the heart of the End of Life Choice Act, which we are all being asked to vote on at the general election. As some politicians stated during the debates in Parliament, this law will make New Zealand a more compassionate society. But we need to ask ourselves, can we justify such action by saying we are motivated by compassion? Now, this is not an ethics talk. That was more last night, which apparently you can view on YouTube at some stage during the week. This is a sermon. So I'd like to focus on one of the most familiar parables that Jesus told us that we heard read today, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm also aware that as we look at this parable, Jesus did not use it to answer the question about end-of-life choice. Rather, he used it to address the question of who turned out to be the neighbour. The neighbour in this parable is the one who showed compassion. So I think we can ask ourselves the question, what expression of compassion is Jesus calling us to live out? As we look to Jesus, as the fullest expression of self-sacrificial love. In doing so, we allow scripture to offer us signposts that are not on the original map. 
as we identify patterns of Christian behavior and patterns of Christian character that we can then apply to the issues before us. First, I want to make some brief comments about the religious and social context of this parable. The first is to realize that love, of which compassion is an expression, is at the very heart and center of Jesus' moral teachings and how he lived his life. And it was then the identifying mark of the early Christian communities. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we we hear Jesus expand on what is commonly known as the double love command that has both vertical and horizontal dimensions. We hear the lawyer summarize the vertical dimension when he quotes from the Torah to first love God as expressed in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these are familiar words from our Anglican liturgy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Then the horizontal expression of love, to love your neighbor as yourself, a command recorded in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But Jesus' teachings contrast with the reciprocal standard found in his society of his day, where, yes, you love God, but you also love those who love you. Jesus moved his disciples beyond the letter of the law by radically reinterpreting their understanding of neighbour. We also need to remember that the Samaritan was the most unlikely hero of the story. For Jews, Samaritans were despised and hated. They were the unfaithful remnant of the kingdom of Israel, whereas the Jews were descended from the kingdom of Judah. It's a bit like Cantabrians and Aucklanders, isn't it? In the lawyer's mind, the Samaritans were non-neighbours. So it's scandalous for Jesus to use the Samaritan as a hero in explaining that the term neighbour is not defined by your nationalistic boundaries. Instead, Jesus was looking for an answer based on compassionate action with the question we heard in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Hence the reply, which I'm sure we can all respond to, the one who showed him mercy. So how do we relate then this parable to the issue before us of the End of Life Choice Act? I think we can pick up on four signposts that help us to answer the question, so what does Jesus mean by compassion? The first signpost is that this parable gives us an example of what it means to offer compassion to someone who is hurt, vulnerable, and by all accounts dead. The response of the two religious leaders as they passed by on the side of the road was that they thought he was dead. They did not want to stop and touch a corpse for fear of being ceremonially unclean. This person was in their mind dead or terminal due to his injuries if left untreated 
he would surely die. The compassionate action in being a neighbour was to do something. Doing nothing was not an option. I acknowledge there's a difference between the parable and end-of-life choice in that the injured man did not choose to be in this situation. But for the parable, the focal point isn't on the one suffering. The focal point is on the one who responded to the suffering, who acted with generosity and with compassion. The hero was the one who showed him mercy. This loving response is based on the biblical emphasis on the value of human life. The loving action of showing mercy and compassion to those in need is an expression of our love for God. A loving response then to be lived out by all of Jesus' followers. The second signpost is that doing something would be costly and involved no shortcuts. We see this in the definition of compassion, which is to suffer with or to suffer together. There is a journey to be undertaken together. The Samaritan bore the full cost of caring for the injured man. First he went to his aid. Then he poured oil and water on his wounds. He bandaged the man. He then carries him to the inn. He pays for his care. He does the care. And then he even intends to do his ongoing care by paying the people in the inn so that they could help the man. And as we heard, he even intended to return and pay the extra costs that might have been incurred. It's also worth noting that the cost and level of care was not dependent on the outcome. If you look at the reading, there's actually no mention as to whether the man recovered or whether he died. Unknown to the Samaritan at the time was the possibility that this man was so severely hurt that he could have died of his injuries at the inn. Or if he did recover, what condition would he be in? What ongoing enjoyment of life would he have? The Samaritan could have found the man on the side of the road and said, his injuries are too great. He won't recover. Or if he did, his quality of life would be terrible. It would be more compassionate for me to end his life now, to stop his suffering, and then to bury him with dignity. But instead, the Samaritan took care of the man. He truly suffered with the man, walking alongside him and paying the cost for his care. The image we have here is a process of compassion, which constitutes compassionate action to walk alongside with the one in need, not a quick fix to end suffering. So does assisted dying offer compassion when it becomes part of normal health care? There's a story some of you might have heard if you came last night of a Canadian man called Roger Foley who suffers from an incurable neurological disease. It's a terminal disease. 
He wants to live at home, but needs 24-hour-a-day care. Unfortunately, the care provided by him by the government-provided carers was so inadequate it led to both mental and physical illness. So he ended up in hospital where he has been for the last four years. Now he is taking the hospital and the Ontario Attorney General to court because the only options given to him are to stay in hospital and pay the cost, to have home-based care from the same providers that provided care that ended him up in hospital in the first place, or to have the state pay for his assisted suicide. He is not given the choice and has not been allowed to have the care he needs to live at home and ultimately to die at home. This is not the type of compassion that we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan. At no stage in the parable or throughout the Bible, I believe, is compassion, love or mercy equated with the intentional ending of a life, even if it has done so, to end suffering. The ends do not justify the means. In the third signpost, yes, the Samaritan was the hero of the story, but did you notice that it actually took a community of people to care for the injured man? The Samaritan did all he could, but he also then left instructions for those at the inn to continue that care. And it would have taken the same community to provide for the man's needs if he had died. This is important when we hear those who want assisted suicide or euthanasia talk of individual rights and autonomy and choice. The reality is that none of us are totally autonomous, and all of us at times are vulnerable. It takes a community of people to live well, to receive compassionate care, and to die well. Whether it be from family or friends, support services, or teams of healthcare professionals. As we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the suffering of an individual does not happen in isolation, nor does the treatment or the choices that individual may wish to make. Compassion then is exercised in relationship with others where care and compassion, contained within a view of unconditional love, is about doing good without doing harm. For those today experiencing suffering, including terminal illness, this includes greater availability to support services, palliative care and hospice care, as well as to research into palliative medicine. There is one final signpost as we consider end-of-life choice. The full dependence of the injured man on a community of care does not diminish his dignity as a human being. For the injured man, care would have involved feeding, washing, bandaging, and those more personal cares that no one really likes to talk about. He was totally dependent. The dignity provided through care 
points to the intrinsic value and dignity of a human life, regardless of identity, abilities, or situation. This is one of the main challenges against the End of Life Choice Act from those with disabilities. For many in our society, being on treatment, including being fully dependent on others, is actually what keeps them alive. Being dependent on others does not make you any less human. The parable of the Good Samaritan reminds us that it is okay to be dependent. In fact, all of us here today are dependent on each other in one way or another. And as Christians, we acknowledge our ultimate dependence on God as we journey from birth through life to death. So in conclusion, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think, provides us a lens through which we can understand how Jesus viewed compassionate action. Such action is part of Jesus' vision to live the kingdom life here and now as we apply kingdom principles to the situations that we face. These reflections, I think, suggest that assisted suicide or euthanasia cannot be seen as a compassionate response to those in need who are facing death or are in situations of distress or are the vulnerable in our society. Our call to compassionate action seeks other means so that we suffer together with those in need. And that includes support, services, palliative and hospice care. As ethicist John Jefferson suggests, we offer the dying not a deadly poison, but rather neighbourly love and the hope of eternal life. Amen.